Bibles to Luke chapter 6, beginning today in verse 37, and if you're in the fifth grade or younger, there they go. There is a service downstairs for them. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 37. Moving along this morning in um, Jesus' sermon to his disciples, his message to them, and um, coming to the segment where he talks about judging, judging one another. Verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck that is in your eye. When you yourself do not see the log in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly how to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Men do not gather figs from thorns or pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. I want to speak this morning about the subject of what Jesus is saying to his disciples about judging one another. And you know, the, the problem that we have in our society is um, we are told all the time in a very pluralistic culture that everybody can do whatever they think is right and we're not supposed to have any opinion about it. Uh, whatever a person does, uh, if, as long as it's right for them, it's okay and uh, so we're not supposed to be uh, to have any judgment about that behavior. Uh, well, a lot of times we completely miss the teaching of Scripture on the subject. We're not discerning when we ought to be discerning. On the other side of the coin, um, probably one of the biggest problems we have uh, as a family of God, as followers of Jesus Christ and the body of Christ, is fault-finding. You know, we're just by nature fault finders. And, and we often are passing judgment on one another in a wrong and inappropriate spirit. So I've titled my sermon, even though it's a bit of a plagiarism, To Judge or Not to Judge. That is the question. When, when do we need to be judgmental, at least in the discernment, and when do we need to give a lot of liberty. Jesus uh, says in this passage of Scripture, do not judge. 
Now, you know, when you start to do a word study on, this, on the word judge, uh, we find that it's used about 62 times in the New Testament in about 55 different verses, and those verses are spread out over the New Testament between um, Matthew and Luke and John and Acts and Paul's writings and the letter to Hebrews and Peter's writings and James. So it seems like everybody has something to say about judging. In fact, the New Testament does have this as a significant theme, that we need to be a people who get this right. And Jesus, speaking to his disciples, uh, is saying to them, I'm saying to you as my disciples, do not judge. Now, what does it mean to judge? I wish it were uh, simple to say that there's different words that we could uh, look at and that would clarify it for us. But the fact is that every time the word judge or judgment or a judge occurs, it really comes from the same root Greek word. So that we don't get a lot of help that way. What we have to do is examine the context. What is the context in which every one of these is used? Sometimes the word judgment means to have discernment, to choose between what is good and bad, or between what is right and wrong. We're actually counseled in the scripture to have good judgment in that sense, to have good discernment, to to be able to differentiate. In fact, Jesus says in this very passage a little later on as we go down, he says, take a look at trees. Good trees don't produce bad fruit. Bad trees don't produce good fruit. And you ought to be able to figure out what kind of tree it is by what kind of fruit it's bearing. And you ought to be able to look at the fruit and and make a judgment. You ought to be able to make a decision. So he's not telling us, obviously, in the passage that there's never a time when we should exercise judgment. What he is telling us is that there is never a time when we should sit in the role of a judge. Because to be a judge means to put yourself in a position uh, kind of over the law where you're an administrator and you're making the final decision on who is condemned and who is not. So as we look at the context of the term judgment, um, we, we recognize that Jesus is not telling us to turn a blind eye to sin. But he is telling us that we need to be people who do not pass judgment, uh, that is, a final condemnation on one another. I want to talk about that a little bit this morning, and I said a couple of weeks ago I have to speed preach. I certainly do this morning. It took me an hour and five minutes to share this message last hour, and uh, I only have 20 left, <laughs> and, and I'm under the gun. <laughs> so, so fasten your seatbelt and open your ears, because uh, we're going to be on the Blitzkrieg this morning trying to, to look at this material. But Jesus... Uh, doesn't tell us that we are never to help each other take specks out of one another's eye. How many of you ever get specks in your eye? Oh, everybody's done that, right? Okay. Do you enjoy that? 
Do you like leaving that there? I don't know, I see I got a wood chip in my eye. I think I'll leave it there a day or two and see, see how that works. No, we, we don't like that, do we? We want to get that out right away. It is actually a good thing to help someone else get a speck out of their eye. You know, that is a great service. If you can help somebody get their eye clear, it's like, wow, oh, that feels so much better. Jesus is not telling us that we're not to be people who never offer to get the speck out of each other's eye. But he says, if you're going to do surgery on somebody's eye, don't have a log in your face. You know, the problem is, is that oftentimes we go to help each other and we're so clumsy because we've got this log in our face and we can't see around our own issues. And so we start condemning and criticizing and, and, and trying to be, you know, speck removers when we're missing the point of our own problem. The scripture says that all of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. That, that's, a, that's a blanket statement on all humanity. And even Jesus himself, to whom that statement, by the way, does not apply, he was not a sinner, but even Jesus himself in his uh, time among us in the flesh said, I have not come to judge. Not this time. He says, I've come to seek and save what is lost. I've come to, to bring help. I, I've come to free you and to, to liberate you from, from your own bondages. I haven't come to judge you. In fact, he says, the world already has enough trouble. It's already condemned. I've come that you might be saved. And so even in his role... Uh, as the Messiah, he did not come to bring judgment. Remember when the woman was caught in adultery and brought to Jesus? Um, that, that whole story is such a setup. I, I just, you know, I mean, how did those Pharisees know where to find her at just the right time? And, and how did that come about? And, and they find this woman and they bring her to Jesus and say, Look, we caught her in the very act of adultery. The law says she should be stoned. Now, they were trying to set him up. And Jesus kind of looks at the situation. He sees the hardness of their own hearts. And he says, okay, the law is the law. Tell you what, whichever one of you has never sinned, you get to cast the first stone. Okay? And pretty soon, there's no one there but Jesus and this woman. You know, and I love this image when he kind of looks at her and he says, Woman, where are your accusers? You know, and she says, There aren't any. And he says, I don't judge you either. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, he didn't say to her, you didn't do anything wrong. What he said was, I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. Go and sin no more. He did not come in his first visit to be the judge. The reason that none of us have the right or the ability to judge well, because we're sinners. We're human and we're sinners. 
Jesus was human, but he wasn't a sinner. So there's a little distinction there. But it's interesting. I, I want you to do a mental exercise with me for a moment. I've repeated myself a number of times through the years. It's not because I'm senile. It's just because, uh, well, I may be, but that's not the reason I repeat myself. <laughs> I, I repeat myself because we have such a hard time getting certain things kind of built into the fabric of our lives. You know, we need, we need to really think about it. I want you to do a mental exercise with me. I want you to just stop for a moment, and I want you to think about the most despicable, the ugliest, the worst sin, the worst crime that you can imagine. I know that's an ucky thing to do in the middle of the sermon, but I, I just want you to think about that. What to you, if you read it in Yahoo News or heard it on the news or whatever, what to you would be the worst, most despicable, sinful crime you can imagine? Now then, here's the test to see if you've really seen the grace of God in Calvary. If you don't think that you're capable of that yourself, you don't know yourself very well. You say, well, wait a minute. I would never do that. I, this thing I've got in my mind, I would never do that. You don't know yourself. The Bible says that the heart of every human being is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? You can't even know the depths of your own depravity. You can't even fathom how bad you could be. And if you have not seen yourself in the light of Calvary, in those terms, there's something you're missing out on. You're missing out on the amazing love of God. Because you can only fully appreciate the love of God when you have seen how much He has forgiven in your life. Remember what Jesus said when He was in the home of Simon and, and, and this, this, you know, this Pharisee saying... <laughs> This woman that's doing this to your feet, she's a sinner. Don't you know what kind of person she is? And, and Jesus says, let me tell you something. The one who's forgiven much loves much. He said, I came into your house. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't provide this for me. You didn't do that. You didn't treat me in any special way at all. But she said, since I've sat down, this woman has not ceased to weep and to, and, and to, to, to wash my feet and to dry my feet with her hair. She has been forgiven much and she loves me. You think you got it together and you don't really care about me. That was the essence of his message to him. Friends, when we see 
our true selves in light of Calvary, the one thing that it does for us is awaken us to the love of God. And our, our response is, God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for cleansing me. Thank you for saving me. And when we've seen that, it becomes very difficult to be judgmental regarding other people, no matter what, they're do- what they've done. That does not mean that we agree with their behavior. But it means that we're in a position now to view them with humility. Because even though they're maybe behaving inappropriately and doing bad things, sinful things, we're not in a position to judge that because truly, but for the grace of God, there go I. That's me. That's, that's what I would be like perhaps apart from God. Oh, you may have a different flavor. There, there may be some sins that you just can't imagine you would ever do. And, and you might not. But you might do something you never thought you would do in, in a totally different realm. It's interesting how some people's Achilles uh, heel tends to be in, in sexual morality or immorality. Some people's has to do with lying. Some has to do with stealing. Some has to do with various and sundry other things. People have different weaknesses that they are particularly vulnerable to. And it's also interesting that if you start down that path, you may wind up in a bunch of other things that are spinoffs that you never saw coming. But the reality is, if you've seen yourself in the light of Calvary, it ought to bring a humility and a tenderness to your heart. Uh, Jesus says, if you're going to take the speck out of your brother's eye, you need to take a look at the log that's in your face before you attempt that. Because you need to have that right spirit. Galatians 6.1 says, you who are spiritual... Uh, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Even though they've sinned, restore them in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourselves lest you also be tempted. You know, one of the things that, that I have a responsibility for on our district committee of, of uh, interviews and licensing and ordination is it's also the discipline committee. And every once in a while, we have to, to make some hard choices about people that have failed. And um, that requires a great deal of sensitivity, a great deal of humility, because I, that could be me. This year, we, we've had a couple of pastors that, that have had to leave their pastorates, not because of any great moral failure or theft or anything like that, but because they just got too full of themselves. They, they, they just started freewheeling. They, they um, lost credibility. They went out on limbs they shouldn't have gone out on. They ignored bylaws. They, they just kind of went out there in such a way that uh, their leadership lost confidence in them and they were unable to provide, uh, to command respect and provide leadership for their congregations. And, and they had to leave. And you start to deal with things like that and you say, I can see how that could happen. 
I can see that. Even though it ought not to be. Are you in a place, if you're going to be a speck remover, are you in a place where you can understand how people get specks? Because you understand how you have them. That's a requirement for being a good spiritual surgeon. And then in Romans 14, there's some very interesting passages of Scripture. I've printed them on the back of your uh, study guide for you. But in, in Romans chapter 14, um, look at the top of that column on the back of the study guide, starting with the second paragraph. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. The one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of one another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And moving down the passage, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Therefore let us not judge one another, but determine this rather not to put a stumbling block in a brother's way. Now, in Romans 14 and also in the Colossians passage um, and in the James passage, in those passages, Paul is talking about things that have been kind of pa- that have passed away because of the difference between the old covenant and the new. And anytime you have that kind of change, uh, th- there are people who have grown up within a certain culture and expectations. I mean, if you've been taught all your life, that there's certain things you ought to do on the Sabbath. There's certain meats you should never touch. That not forget eating them. You shouldn't even touch them. There, there are certain things you should never drink. That should never cross your lips. Uh, there, are, there are festivals and and new moons and Sabbaths that you have to keep. And and this has been your teaching and training all your life, and it seems so right to you. And now the tables have turned, and Jesus has lifted those things. I'm not talking about moral issues that are, that are clearly, unmistakably, biblically identified as sin. Lying, stealing, adultery, uh, immorality, uh, you know, theft, um, all those kinds of things that we can identify so clearly. But I'm talking about these things that are out on the edges <clears throat> that have to do with, with um, cultural experience. And even the Old Testament liturgical laws and dietary laws that God clearly nullified in the New Testament. Clearly nullified them. I mean, there's no question about that. Now, here are people that feel like, well, I've got to keep that. And there are people who feel like, well, no, I don't. And now, all of a sudden, we're judging each other. Friends, we do that today. Forget the Old Testament. We do that today. We have the same problem today. We judge people because I was raised a Southern Baptist in a teetotaling home, in a teetotaling church. I was taught from my childhood it is sin to have a drink. Not just, you know, bad choices, it's sin. Drunkenness was not the issue. Touching alcohol is sin. I was trained that way. Smoking is sin, you know, and, and uh, then, you know, we have these ideas uh, of 
I can't believe she'd leave the house looking like that. Who would ever wear that kind of thing in public? You know, and then we, we have that kind of mentality. We have all these ideas. That music is devil music. You shouldn't ever listen to that stuff. That's not Christian. And, and we bring all these attitudes into the church. Friends, they're on the fringe. They're out there. If you cannot point to a chapter and verse of Scripture that plainly and unmistakably says something is sin, and can I go so far as to say it's reiterated in the New Testament because there's so much in the Old Testament that people want to hearken back to that frankly has been nullified in the New Covenant. We have to look at the church and what the New Testament says. In this particular case, we can learn a lot from the old. But the new is what unveils the true underlying value system. Now, what does Paul have to say about it? He says, if you look at someone else in one of these areas that is not clearly, clearly defined as sin, and you pass judgment... He said, you are the weaker brother or sister, and you are sinning in your attitude. Who are you to judge another man's servant to his own master he stands or falls? You have, if you can't find chapter and verse that says it's wrong, clearly says it's sin, you have no business making a judgment call. Let me take the issue of, I can't believe she'd leave the house wearing something like that. Going out in public looking that way. That usually goes to the modesty issue, right? I know what's modest, and that ain't it. May I say that's your opinion? Find me a verse in the Bible that defines modesty. Oh, I know what you're going to do. You're going to take me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and you're going to tell me that, w- that women should dress modestly in accordance with yada yada, not putting on gold and some fancy stuff. And you're going to take me there, and you're going to say, this is modesty, and I'm going to, and I'm going to argue with you. Define modesty. You can't do it. It is a cultural value. Now, let me give you an illustration. I was a young pastor. We had mission conference. Jim and Dee Sunda came to our church from the Balim Valley of uh, Indonesia. And they were showing slides. And here is where I became aware of the the reality of cross-cultural ministry. They were showing a slide. Revival had come to the Dani tribes people. And, and they had been gloriously saved and transformed. And churches had sprung up everywhere. And people were just, their, their brand new faith in Jesus. It was wonderful. And they were showing us a Sunday morning church service where they were having communion. 
And one of the things that caught my attention is that all the women were wearing grass skirts. Only grass skirts. They were all topless. And the elders were standing at the communion table, ready to serve communion with bare bottoms. They were only wearing gourds. Little gourds. And I thought, oh my gosh, the women are all topless and the guys have practically nothing on them. It's like they invented the thong. The guys, not the gals. They didn't have on anything under the grass skirts. They were not immodest. They were worshiping God in the beauty of holiness. In fact, Jim and Dee said it was pretty comical when they started introducing clothing to the Bali and Valley. Um, it, it, it actually looked lewd for a while because they didn't have enough for everybody to get everything, and so some would take some things out of the barrels and they'd put on whatever, you know, and some had on underwear without outerwear and just different kinds of weird and bizarre things. And they said they were actually quite attractive people apart from that Western clothing, and, and it took a while to, to make the transition. There are things that are cultural, that are inappropriate in certain cultures and not in others. I'm not talking about situational ethics. I'm talking about the way people view other human beings within the context of their culture. And the scripture says very plainly, it is not up to you to be the judge of what is appropriate or not appropriate. That's between that person and God. That's for God to deal with them. That extends to many, many other things. But it's also interesting that he says, those of you that have great freedom, you need to exercise great restraint and not view the weaker brother or sister with contempt. Oh, we can't go there tonight and do that because Susie's with us and it'll really freak her out. You know, have you ever been in that kind of a situation where another brother or sister is being made fun of because they don't have the same liberty? And now they're being made to, to feel insignificant. And what happens if you take your brother or sister to a place to do something that they feel is wrong? And now you've led them into that, and they feel now before God like they've sinned. Do you know what the ramifications of that are? You can talk from now to doomsday with them about whether it's right or wrong and have all the debates, but if in their heart they feel like they've offended God, they feel like they need to repent and confess. They've stepped over a line in their own spirit. And now they're wide open to the accusation and the defeat of the devil. And who knows what they might do as a second or third step. 
and down the road their growth in Christ may have been stunted by that one moment. And you may come to the awareness that it's your fault. It's your fault because you put them in that position. We have to be very, very sensitive. Paul said, I'm free. He said, I can eat anything, I can drink anything. He said, I don't have any trouble with this stuff. But he said, I have determined never to put a stumbling block in my brother's way. I will not do anything that will damage or destroy my brother because I'm free to eat it or I'm free to drink it. That's in Corinthians. He says, I'm not going to do that. He says, because it's more important for me to surrender my freedom in the interest of their spiritual uh, health than it is to cause them damage. Friends, Jesus is not saying that we cannot speak to one another when there's been real sin. He's not saying that we can't go to a brother or sister that's offended us and seek to make reconciliation. In fact, the Bible tells us we need to do that. And, and it makes it very plain. If we go to someone who has sinned, or even someone who has just offended us in some way, and we have a conversation, and we're able to talk through things, and there's the repentance, and there's forgiveness, and there's healing, and, and the air is cleared, and, and all of a sudden... It says you've won your brother. Now, it doesn't always work out that way. That requires a lot of grace on both sides of the equation. Sometimes you're not ready to go, and sometimes they're not ready to have you. And, and so you can't, you can't distill that down to that level. But there's nothing in the Scripture that prohibits us from seeking to, to bring unity back through reconciliation to talk with one another about our failures, to help one another. But we need to make certain that along the journey we recognize that we are fellow pilgrims on the road out of sin. And if we're a little further down the path, we're still on the same path. That means that maybe we can point out the potholes to someone coming behind us but we have no place to pass judgment. That is reserved for God. You see the difference? We are to be discerning. We are to recognize bad fruit and sometimes bad trees. We are not to go soft on sin. But you and I don't have any right to make a final judgment or a condemnation on another person because we ourselves have experienced the amazing grace of God. Well, there's so much more to say and there's so much more in here, but um, I've got some uh, questions on the back uh, for your small group or for your own study. Uh, I hope you'll take the time to think through those and that you'll give that some thought and let the Holy Spirit uh, minister to you. I think one of the most serious issues we have in the church is judging. 
And friends, if we're going to be the kind of people God wants us to be, no one should ever walk in the door of our church and feel uncomfortable or out of place because we make them feel like they, they're, they're, they don't belong. Everybody belongs. The cross is open for every person. And there's room for every single individual, regardless of their background, regardless of their past. And it may take time for God to deal with a person's growth. And the church should be a loving, accepting, supportive community where that growth can occur, where we can encourage one another in the faith and grow up together in the Lord. Uh, not a place where we pass judgment one on the other. Father, I pray this morning that you would give us insight into your word, that you would make us that kind of people. It's amazing to me, Lord, that while the Pharisees hated you, the sinners loved you. You who were truly sinless, you who are capable of being a righteous judge, sinners were drawn to you because of your great love for them. And I pray that we would be that kind of people, that others would be drawn because of our great love. Not that we compromise, not that we soft-pedal sin, but because we recognize that we have all been rescued from the same cesspool. And it takes a while to get the stink off. And I pray, Lord, that we would be among those who encourage one another in growing into the beauty of Christ by patient and gracious, loving assistance. In Jesus' name, amen. Do a closing song for us.